Hello and welcome to Behind the Bearcat. This is the podcast where the Northwest Missouri State University Career Services Office chats with Northwest faculty, staff, students, alumni, and friends to hear about their career journeys, how they got to where they are, and how they became Bearcats. I'm Northwest Internship Coordinator Travis Klein. And I'm Hannah Christian, the Director of Career Services here at Northwest. And today's guest on our show is... Hi, I am Adrian James. I'm the Associate Dean of Undergraduate Studies in the College of Management at Park University, also an Associate Professor of Management. Welcome. We're very happy to have you as a guest on our show today. So you, you work at Park University. I think you're actually our first guest who works uh, at a different university than Northwest. So always happy to chat with, with colleagues from other schools. So tell us about being a Bearcat. So you went to Northwest, got a degree from here. You want to tell us a little bit about that story? So good. I stayed in school for my entire for my entire life. So Northwest, I guess I have them to thank for being in education. I did. So started in 99, undergrad in industrial and organizational psychology. I think I started undecided even. Liked business, liked psychology. Thankful to a faculty, probably can't name them, that said, did you know we have this degree? And I looked and I was like, wow, this is a perfect fit. And graduated and I said, well, what are, you know, the career path, where would I go? And it would have been HR. I'm like, well, it's not bad, but I like school, looking at master's. Can you tell us what industrial and organizational psychology is for those of us who may not know? Sure. If I had went and got my master's in that, it would be a lot of consulting, right? So there's two sides of it for the, the soft skills and the hard skills of just making organizations function better. Uh, so a lot of folks that would work at Deloitte or the top companies would be IO psych folks. A lot of the human behavior, uh, which in my PhD later is kind of the route I went um, studying some of those org behavior classes, or you could go the hard side, which I did some of with like your Six Sigma and your number side of having organizations function better. So, you know, a consultant might come in and say, you know, I wish joke, the office, we have three bosses. So Bob and Bob, they were probably organizational, uh, maybe, you know, psychologists in a very casual way to say that. So anyway, so then I finished and the way it sets it up, you could go into like clinical psychology, almost, like get your master's or you could get an MBA. So I chose the MBA and went in the summer, did that in about a year and a half. I had a graduate assistantship position. Uh, with the student life there. So I don't know if they still have Thursday nights at the union. So I was the one that standing in the hallway trying to get folks to, <laughs> to do that. Turns out I loved higher ed and everything about it. Had a great mentors through that program. And so I said, well, I want to be in higher ed. Even though I was getting some job offers elsewhere, I turned them down to go to Texas A&M to, to finally get one that... I'm pretty sure, I don't think I'm misremembering, Cerner was one of my offers. And many of my MBA friends went to become amazing analysts, right, at Cerner. Mine would have lined up more with an HR job. I remember saying no, having a brief stint somewhere, and then heading to Texas A&M and never looking back and having just a, then that took me to the Middle East. And I don't know how far you want me we're happy to hear all about it. So, but how did you pick your program? So for your, how did you pick Texas A&M? Well, I got a job there after. So I, I was working there for four years 
And then I'd always knew, I think I wanted to get a PhD. I remember sitting in class in Northwest and they have phenomenal instructors, right? I, I can, and so engaging in the smaller school and remembering how I just really liked that. And so at, while I was at Texas A&M, I was like, well, I guess it's time. <laughs> to, I was in a good spot in my career where I could do both. Texas A&M was very supportive. At the time, I was working in the Learning Center, the Academic Success Center, and took classes on the side. And then I could have went business, but I chose its leadership, education, communications. And then I took my electives for my PhD in the May School of Business in HR or org behavior. So still that people side, IO side type stuff, but I didn't do my degree in Mays. So what would you say was your, what did you do your dissertation on? And what would you say is your biggest passion in that area? It was on the relationship between leadership and learning. So I did a lot of, I was in the academic success center. And so I was super passionate about just learning in general. And so I thought, is there any sort of relationship between how we lead and how we learn? And found some, not much. It was a pretty small sample size. I was actually living in the Middle East at the time I was doing my dissertation. So that part of my program, uh, my advisor, if she watches this, thank you for flying out and <laughs> to the Middle East and sitting at the table with me to finish that. And most passionate about, I think pe people enjoying work. People are so different. And we spend mostly eight hours a day remote work has changed this around these folks who can be very different. And I think it goes back to my IO psych background of what changes can we make structurally process and procedural to make people's jobs easier, uh, more enjoyable, not easier, more efficient, more effective. And then also as humans, you know, what can we do to work together in a more enjoyable way, right? How to be a good leader. <laughs> Those types of the students I had, I just had one from my time at Purdue Northwest message me and he was having uh, some stuff. And he said, I just remember if you said, you feel like you, you don't enjoy working with someone, take them to lunch and find something that you like about them. And I'm like, okay, do you remember anything else? That's the thing that they remember. That's solid advice, though. That really is good advice for not just work, but really life. You know, when you don't get along with someone, break bread with them, have a conversation, get to know them as people, and you'll find that those differences kind of minimize pretty quickly. You mentioned working and living in the mid Middle East. Um, was that through Texas A&M that you went there, like a satellite campus or a different job? Or where did you go and how did you get there? So I was at a conference and I sat by a woman and uh, at a lunch, I remember, and she was chatting with me. She kept asking questions and about a week later, I get a phone call and she says, you want to come work for me in the <laughs> in Doha Cutter at the Texas A&M campus out there? And I was looking, you know, it was at that time where it was time for me to grow. And, and so I looked and I went and I uh, was there about four years doing, I worked in the academic success center, taught lower level, like how to learn classes, but then actually got to do some cross-cultural training. So I did some train the trainers on cross-cultural communication and leadership. And you can read about that all day, but until you live it, and you see the concepts come alive, but until you truly live it, it it's amazing. So I got to do some training out there as well. And that was really wonderful. And then a lot of traveling. I think in the four years I went to 30, right at 30 countries. And 
full transparency, Cutter was the first stamp on my passport. <laughs> well, I had actually never been abroad. Different things stopped. And then the next thing I know, I'm living in the Middle East and embracing all of it. The moral of the story I'm pulling out of this is Travis said you should go break bread with someone if you, you know, maybe are not getting along with them. But the moral I hear is be careful who you break bread with because you might be working with them. So now my huge passion, I did not study abroad when I was at Northwest. I worked a lot. I was, I wish I would have been more involved. I really do. I'm still the most amazing experience. I remember years after college thinking, does it get better? Does, you know, does it get better than college? And that, you know, because I had a really, really great experience at Northwest. I, I remember walking on the campus for my campus visit when making a choice and being like, this is right. And, and it was. Um, so now I've taken some students to study abroad. And so that's been phenomenal to watch them be nervous about spending the money or leaving home. And then coming and saying, can I, can I go with you on your next trip? Or <laughs> In doing that cross-cultural training, what were some of the biggest things that you learned or some of the, the most powerful things that you felt like you developed during that time? I don't know. I remember reading about differences, but then a full appreciation, I guess, of, of those differences. And I, I learned more about myself and became a way better communicator. I, I remember really making mistakes, even though I knew like if someone wouldn't look me in the eye, as simple as that, I would, would feel, even though I knew certain cultures don't with the female, it still felt very personal. And so I guess a big one was to just not take things personal, right? Even though easier said than done sometimes, but I think just the greater appreciation to learn and listen and to more I kind of knew myself or what maybe as a leader where I might have sensitivities that I have to be or biases that I might have to be careful about. So what brought you brought you back to the US after being, you know, abroad and having that amazing experience and traveling, what brought you back to the States? While it is enjoyable, I was ready just to come back and be a little closer to home and more family and just, you know, it, it was really good. Sometimes I'm like, could I live abroad again? you know, that adventurous piece, but mostly I'd experienced that there are complications, right, of living in these places. And I, I, I was ready to, to come. It was 137 degrees, I think, when I, or feels like that was kind of weird. <laughs> Where are you from originally? North of here. So east of St. Joe, Gower or Easton would be the area. And so I don't know what it take me an hour to get to Northwest. And then most of family and friends had migrated to Kansas City. So it's been great to be close to my niece and nephew, you know, brother, sister-in-law. She went to Park University. So, you know, a tie there. So how did you get to Park? I went to Purdue Northwest for a few years, which was a great experience. Grew my career, my mentors. I couldn't be more thankful. It was so difficult to leave, but my heart was in Kansas City where a bunch of my family was. I was looking for jobs and Park posted when it was a chair position. So I was like, oh, people had always said, you're going to go into administration. I said, so it's ready. My sister-in-law graduated from Park. I'd known, the, you know, and so I, I took a look and I was selected. So that was, and then this last year, uh, promoted to associate dean. Okay, so you took originally a chair position and were in a chair role for how long? Three years. So last year I got ten, tenure and promotion to associate professor. And then 
associate dean of undergrad studies also August 1st. So talk to us about being chair. What was that experience like? It was good, you know. <laughs> it was in the a, middle of a pandemic, right? I mean, some <laughs> of it, yeah, was home. I think it's really we navigated pretty well to being remote. A lot of our classes were geared ready the way Park is structured to be online, and it was just the commun- getting used to the communications with Zoom and. Uh, the dogs that bark in the background, which, you know, it happens, right? Kids that might be there and to really have a lot of grace that everyone in the same situation, but different, right? So it was created for the same reason, but caused different complications. So I think a lot of empathy and patience and understanding and trusting that people will get their work done, right? And they do. Our, our faculty are very supportive of the students. So there were lots of moments of you know, it's really cool when the students are like, I just want to extra thank this professor for going above and beyond. You know, I had COVID or this or that. So that was, that was really great. And then lots of juggling on Zoom, but then some prefer texting on the phone, some prefer Teams. And so just kind of going with whatever. So there would be moments where my phone would text and ring someone with Teams and then I get an email, but I live for that stuff. What was it like to manage faculty during COVID? I, you know, as chair, you're kind of, you you have your team of faculty and you were, you're a faculty member as well. So you're teaching, but what's it like to, I can just imagine some of the the conversations, you know, being in charge of faculty who are trying to teach and trying to help them through their problems. What was that like from that side? I mean, the students totally get that. We did that as well. And, you know, that experience, students are students. So it doesn't matter if it's Zoom or in person, but faculty, that's a little, those are different cats sometimes. So. The way it's structured, all of our faculty had taught online before. So there wasn't a huge adjustment to then teaching the cl- classes online. So I, I, I'm trying now that, you know, it's like I forgot that whole year because I'm now <laughs> the adjustment is going back because that was a bigger adjustment because I was like, oh, I have to navigate my time. This not just, oh, I have two minutes before my Zoom meeting. I'll just leave my camera off. No big deal, you know, and jump on. I don't know. I don't know if I know how to answer that question. Because I don't, I didn't feel a huge, it was just keeping the communication open, right? And I don't know if I could answer what it was like. I think you hit on a big point that a lot of us, I mean, on campus here, students and staff and faculty have talked about how much more difficult it, it, it seemed like going back to normal would be easy, right? But once you get adjusted to a certain way of communicating, whether it's I prefer to text and so now I'm texting someone, it's really kind of difficult to come back to the pre-COVID sort of normal of being in the same space and seeing each other face to face and, oh, I can't make it to Faust in two minutes because that's actually all the way across campus. But now my whole idea of time and Zoom meetings have kind of altered the way that I think about time. And I think we have noticed that. You know, it's students are struggling to kind of get back into the rhythm of the face to face things that one time was uh, it was just normal and natural. Nobody ever thought about it. I've heard some pushback on going back to the rigidity of how classes sometimes have to be, you know, classes meet at certain times. And, you know, that asynchronous Zoom university that a lot of us did for a while, like that doesn't work when you're back in person. And that's once you've had that freedom, it's hard to take it away. You know, there's that old HR saying that anything you give, you can't ever take away. Well, you've had to do that a little bit and that's, that's hard sometimes. So yeah, but I, having faculty that, that already knew how to teach online, I'm sure was easy. Cause yeah, if you don't have to teach them how to log into their email and then turn on their camera, it's so much easier. So in the, in the college of management, cause all of our classes 
our online presence is much bigger than our on campus. And so I, I think that's probably why I like, yeah, the adjustment to going back. Yes, the time, I thought the Middle East ruined me for time because it did a little, but I was still good about being early to a meeting. And now I'm like, oh, oh, yep. Okay. <laughs> and if people are late to my meetings, I used to care. And now I'm like, oh, hey. <laughs> so what's it like being associate dean? So that's, you know, that's a whole different level. And those that are inside baseball and college academic folks, you know, what, what do you do as an associate dean? I love it. Someone had said, you know, it's one of the better roles you can have in academic leadership. And we did a big reorg. And so there's two new chairs and they're, they're just wonderful. And so I look a lot at curriculum and improving curriculum and I answer different questions and I get to see the big picture of things, right? So I had my department before and now it's all the areas and the different questions. And then we have program coordinators who are the experts. So it's, when that stuff comes to me, it's, you know, saying, you're the expert, what do you think? But then I like to see and make sure it doesn't impact over here, right? So you have the overarching, uh, and then just making sure the chairs have what they need, because now they're each have, you know, multiple faculty coming to them. And so I have really been enjoying this role a, a, a lot in terms of I'm all about thinking about resources, you know, and who do we have going up for tenure and what do they need? Do we have any that want to go up from the associate to full? Even that's the chair, they're still kind of new. So thinking for that, but I quite enjoy thinking about our accreditation and uh, new programs. We got a business analytics program coming up that we're very excited about making sure that goes smooth and that our online courses, you know, are created in a way that engage the students, which will be an ongoing for everyone, right? The more technology, the more those students coming in from high school. I always wonder, when am I going to be outdated in my, I'm pretty good. The students tell me still that I had classes. Well, here's the cheat app. And I'm like, okay, okay, good. <laughs> I like the open students. They're very, they're wonderful. Yeah, we get lots of tutorials here as well on whatever thing that they're working on or where they search or where they've whatever resume generator they've found on the web that is making the latest and greatest resume, for example. But we have to ask them what's going on because they truly know. But it seems like your PhD work or your interest, your research interests do really line up with what happens at that type of level, right? Like an associate provost level where you're really trying to figure out how to make work better, like make people want to be at work and, and how to enjoy your work, right? Yes. And I'm thankful, you know, and I, I've read a lot of books and I do really cool things. Like I work with the chiefs, you know, small brag moment of the employees. And I, we do some books and I, you know, one of them, they talk about the walking and the thinking a lot. So now I have a, a dog that I love that's fairly high maintenance that gets W-A-L-K-E-D every morning. <laughs> and uh, so I walk and just reflect on those different topics from people to you know, we have an instructor that wants to do some service learning. So getting her plugged in with the chamber, because I'm on the board of the Chamber of Commerce. And so where can we move these pieces to, again, efficiency and effectiveness is always, so those walks have been, yeah. So I do, I, I do reflect a lot and think, well, how all the experiences, you know, came around to really benefit. And I've, I've had lots of different roles in higher ed, I think. So 
even from my time as a graduate assistant, you know, back in the day. And then higher ed forever. <laughs> and then I do some training. I haven't done it in a while, but I did some leadership training on the side at, at one point. But I don't have time for it. My focus now is part that keeps me funny busy. What types of advice? We're always looking for people's advice on maybe if you're looking for a new job. And I think you have an interesting sort of like, are you making a, a career change? Are you a new student? What types of career wisdom do you have that you could share with us? Oh, I love to talk about this one in class because, you know, the students always look at the dollar sign. And I tell them this will come. It was from, I, I, I remember being offered, I, I swear it's been years ago, the job at Cerner and the one at Texas A&M was about, it was 16 or $18,000 difference. So that I took to go and do what I wanted to do. And then the next thing I know, a few years later, I'm in the Middle East tripling my salary, you know, and then it, but all along enjoying what I do. And I know that's so cliche, not, but I really especially there's a student I'm chatting with now and she's getting different offers. She's amazing. You know, and I, I, you know, make sure you're asking the company that the values align and uh, is it something that you want to do? And I think a lot about how you guys know this better than I do. There's more job jumping now than there used to be. And like, sometimes I encourage that though, because I'll have students come to me and they'll tell me about their boss, even for their part-time job. I'm like, no, I can help you get another job. I will help you because, you know, this is, you know, not okay. So I think the biggest advice is just to, you know, being purposeful and not just chasing that, that dollar sign. And then I understand I was a first generation student. I paid for college myself. I know looking and thinking of student loans and, and such, but once you get to a certain amount, that doesn't start to matter. And so I think looking at the company and their values and is that what you were looking for? Um, it's so nice to hear other people say the stuff we say, because we always tell the students that, you know, when I do interviews, mock interviews with students, it's, you know, this is your time to interview them as much as them to interview you. Because if you don't want to work there, all the money in the world does not make a job workable if it's not something you enjoy. And, you know, we work with people who are in those situations and they can't get out fast enough. So yeah, I think that's awesome advice to do what you want to do. And then the money will come later if you're good at it. And I do think one of the benefits, you know, you say mention you mentioned higher ed forever. I can't think of anyone who's here for the money. So, I mean, we're living that every day. Like we don't come to work because we make the highest salary, right? We have a job. We we come to career services every day because we love being here. That is literally why we come to work every day. I I'm speaking for my team. Sorry, Travis. You can speak right. up on your own, but that's not a benefit that you can pay for. You can't there's no money in the world that's going to buy love for your work. Yeah. And your energy is better and you have, I think, just overall quality. I don't want to say quality of life because and it's different for everyone. Some people really, they want the money, right? And then that's the thing. That's the priority. Um, but I think that that starts to lose, you know, it's, it's, yeah, I think I was offered three non-higher ed jobs. I remember being so young. I can't believe I turned it down. You know, I was like, no, because I remember also, I'm like, ah, it's not what I want to do. So I don't want to quit. Looking back, you know, thinking, because uh, I went through kind of fast, being so young and so like, no, though, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go with my debt and make, that. but I loved it. I mean, it was the best. I was seven years in College Station, four in the Middle East, three at Purdue Northwest, and then back here with these experiences and, you know, enjoying 
what I do with all this, you know, growth and different view of the world and religions and healing and all of that has been so impactful. Thank you for your time today. We appreciate it. It's it's all it's awesome to speak with someone who has, you know, a different perspective than we have here on our campus. So nice to talk to a pirate bear cat who works at Park. <laughs> so thank you for your time, Dr. James. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. We really appreciate you being on the podcast. Thank you, guys. All right. Well, that will do it for another episode of Behind the Bearcat. We'll talk to you next time.